From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at free college and a plan proposed by President-elect Joe Biden that can impact millions of students across the U.S. In a sense, he covers both an interest in minority mobility in education as well as a general goal of increasing equity and access. We welcome Anthony Carnavali, director of the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, which has released a new analysis of the costs and potential impacts of the Biden Free College Plan. Carnavali discusses his team's findings. In the end, we find that the additional earnings by those people who are able to use the program would ultimately result in tax revenues that would pay the cost of the appropriations after the 10th year. And the implications of the plan, whether it's ultimately implemented or not. In many respects, it is a pretty state-of-the-art view of the broader American economic question concerning inequality and its race and class dimensions. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Anthony Carnavali, a research professor and director of the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. Welcome back to the program, Anthony. Thank you. Glad to be here. So today we're discussing your center's new report, which is titled The Dollars and Cents of Free College. It offers a comprehensive cost breakdown of three major free college models, including the plan put forth by President-elect Joe Biden. To start, could you just walk us through what Biden's plan would look like and how it differs from some other proposals or approaches to free college that we've seen in the U.S.? His proposal is very much like the Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren proposals, really. Uh, The one thing where there is some difference is that he has a $125,000 uh, limit on family income for eligibility, and he has a specific cost-sharing arrangement with states who want to join his free college plan. So if you don't join, you don't get any federal money, but if you do join, uh, you will get $3 in federal money for every one additional dollar that you spend on public colleges. So his is more specific, frankly. That's the the essential difference. And it is a plan that pays for your tuition. Uh, and then if there's money uh, left over in, if you're eligible for a Pell Grant, for instance, uh, you can use that additional money for college expenses, uh, room and board, and other related expenses. Uh, And would that be limited to certain kinds of colleges or universities? It is, as with the other proposals, it is a government-to-government arrangement. That is, it is a deal between the federal government and individual states, which means it is only applicable to public colleges. So, uh, and that has a major impact in terms of uh, what we perceive as a resultant shift 
from private to public colleges that would occur. They're not entirely sure how strong that shift would be, but it would be relatively strong. Federal free college plans are no stranger to criticism, um, largely over their cost and in the case of some plans, which students and families would benefit from them. As you note in the report, the Biden plan would include some means testing to direct more benefits to lower income students. Um, could you explain what those eligibility requirements are and how they would impact different student groups? It is a, essentially a family income eligibility requirement that would make people eligible who are from families that make less than $125,000 a year. Now, uh, what that means in the end is that there would be a fairly rich mix of working class whites, uh, African Americans, Latinos, indigenous people, and so on. Uh, they tend to be overrepresented in the, the eligibility, uh, group so that in a sense, he covers, uh, both an interest in minority, uh, mobility in education as well as, uh, a general goal of increasing equity and access. And because of those income requirements, uh, your team notes that the Biden free college plan would cost roughly $8.6 billion less in its first year than a more universal plan. In total, how much would the Biden plan cost and how would it be funded? Well, it's a, the cost is fairly substantial. That is, it would be funded by in appropriations. Uh, through public appropriations. And that's the, frankly, off the top of my head, I can't remember what that number is. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a su substantial amount of money. Now we run it out, uh, a number of years, uh, year by year. And in the end, we find that given the earnings increases that would result for successive graduating classes, that uh, the additional earnings by those uh, people who who were able to use the program would ultimately result in tax revenues that would pay the cost of the appropriations after the tenth year. Uh, it looks like in your report you note that it uh, it would cost the government roughly thirty three point one billion dollars and states sixteen point five billion dollars in the first year. But as you mentioned, that additional tax revenue would ultimately outweigh those costs within a decade. Does that sound right? Yeah. I mean, in the end, what we used is a model that has been developed since the 70s, really, uh, because the government built the Basic Education Opportunity Grant Program, then called the Pell Grant Program. And it's an appropriated program because in the end, the Congress did not want to make it an entitlement, uh, which means that the administration, whichever administration has to make a request for appropriations in every federal budget. So there has been a lot of emphasis on developing the core of the modeling that we're using here it is really fairly robust. It's had uh, decades of uh, trial and error to make it work better. So in the end, we're fairly sure about the costs. The returns 
when we estimate the returns, we're looking at using the same model, principally uh, generating uh, graduation rates, uh, participation rates, uh, and earnings uh, in, that in earnings that also account for the effects of increasing the supply of college graduates, uh, the number of college graduates in the labor market, which would over time, we think, and this is not one of our more solid estimates, it would reduce the so-called wage premium for college over high school by a relatively small amount. Uh, that is to say, down from 70%, perhaps to 65%. And that brings me to my next question. Uh, the, the title of this report is Dollars and Cents, and it's spelled with an S instead of a C. Um, suggesting that there's there's more to consider with free college than simply just costs and revenues. What kind of an impact would a plan like President-elect Biden's have on, say, student enrollment or on workers or even colleges that are struggling right now in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, in the end, the context for a plan like this, should it pass, and I must say that I think it's doubtful that it would pass. That is, unless uh, Biden picks up the two runoff Senate seats, he's not going to have the votes for this, It'd be my judgment. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. So in the end, there are two ways to look at this. One is that uh, without the Biden plan, um, if he doesn't have the votes for it, higher education is in for a rough ride over the next decade or so because we are seeing the beginnings of a fall off in the size of the college age population, say 18 to 24 year olds. Uh, and uh, that will result uh, overall in, in fewer students, uh, which means less revenue. Uh, this is particularly true in New England and the mid-Atlantic states. The only places where the college-age population will grow is in the South and the West. Uh, but the challenge there is that the people who will be 18 to 24-year-olds over the next decade uh, and beyond uh, in the South and the West come from families with lower income levels and with parents who have less education and who historically uh, have had lower graduation rates. Participation rates are pretty robust, uh, but graduation rates are very low for these populations. We figured that into our estimates, but absent the Biden plan or something like it, uh, higher education is going to be in a rough space. So we're in a situation because of COVID, where for at least a few years, we're talking about substantial revenue declines, uh, that is fewer customers paying full price uh, across both public and private systems. And uh, at the same time, in the public systems, the state contribution, which is important in public colleges, uh, it is under similar pressure, that is, notwithstanding some sort of help from the federal government, a stimulus plan that included aid to state and local governments, uh, states are going to be less and less able to afford public higher education 
uh, in part because of the increase in uh, demands from uh, for subsidizing medical care. The Biden plan, in many respects, is both a political idea as well as a financial one, and that is that uh, in the end, absent substantial monies for higher education, we're going to see probably a lot of closures, especially in private institutions over the next decade or so, in part because the demography doesn't favor the higher education business. Uh, this is not true for the more selective colleges because the other thing that's happening in America at the same time is that we're getting more and more families where both parents have a bachelor's degree and the earnings that go with that. So if you're a selective college, I uh, say uh, we count about 500 selective colleges in America, uh, the population that you serve uh, with the money that can afford you, that population is going to grow in both the public and private spheres. So there's an issue here about uh, what's going to happen to a lot of private institutions in terms of their actual ability to stay open. And in the case of public institutions, their ability to deliver quality uh, education absent the Biden money and absent the uh, state money. Uh, the other piece of this that is interesting is without Biden's plan or any free college plan or any attempt to subsidize college in America, uh, we're going to see from governments, both federal and state, a substantial increase in demands for transparency in higher education. That is, people who want to know uh, if they're sending their kids to college and they pick a particular college and a particular program, uh, will they be able to get a job, for example, when they graduate? Will it be worth the money? Uh, will the investment pay off in financial terms? And both federal and state governments are moving aggressively uh, to provide uh, information that allows students, parents, and colleges to understand which of their programs work best in terms of providing people employment and which ones don't. In addition to transparency, uh, there is a more difficult political question, which is uh, once we know that a program doesn't deliver a job, uh, do we allow the use of public funds? I think the politics of that are reasonably clear. That is, most people most uh, politicians and most Americans, I think, will support the notion that uh, if you want to major in archaeology, you should be able to do that and you should be able to use Pell Grants and loans and so on to do that. But we're going to be sure to tell you that majoring in archaeology is not going to uh, give you the same kind of economic return as majoring in engineering, but it's really your business. The additional stresses on college, apart from transparency, will be that in part uh, because of our experience with the for-profit colleges, but in general, the government is more and more interested in 
subsidizing training as opposed to education, uh, certificates, industry-based certifications, uh, short-term kinds of training. And uh, those programs, I think it's highly likely they're going to be subjected to gainful employment regulations, which is to say, we will look at the earnings from those programs. And if the costs are out of sync with the earnings, that if it's all cost and no earnings, um, the public uh, subsidies won't be available. So there are two worlds coming in higher ed. If Biden is able to do so, uh, there would be substantial monies for higher education institutions due to free college. But the accountability and transparency agenda, which is what lies beneath the Biden proposal, would still come. But it's a case where there's some difficult medicine to swallow, but there's a lot of money to help the medicine go down. Without Biden's program, uh, it seems to me that what we're looking at is strong bipartisan support for accountability and transparency, but not strong bipartisan support for a lot of money to go with it. And finally, um, imagining the case that, let's say that the two Democratic candidates uh, win election to the Senate in Georgia, and the Biden administration has sort of the political ammunition to maybe see this through, what kinds of impacts could his plan have on students, um, particularly in light of what you were just mentioning with the costs of college and um, return on investment for salaries and things like that, would would his plan open the door to new groups of students or new kinds of students to pursue higher education? If you look at the Biden platform on the whole, it reflects a pretty state-of-the-art view of how we can improve access and success in higher ed and how that can then be translated into higher earnings for uh, lower income and minority populations is really the focus. And what is interesting about the Biden platform uh, is that it is probably the first in uh, the case of uh, presidential party platforms to uh, try and make the connections uh, between education and careers, but also to connect the dots within the education system uh, that lead people to college and to good jobs. And what I mean by that is that uh, the Biden platform begins with the, the assumption that free preschool uh, is the first step in graduating from college. And then uh, there is a commitment in the K-12 portion of his, um, in the grade school and high school portions of his uh, proposal to triple uh, the federal support for schools that have high proportions of dis disadvantaged students. The schools that are, are eligible used to be called Title I and then no Child Left Behind, and I'm forgetting what the name of it is now. But the Democratic platform did this time, and I think it reflects learning over and a new reality uh, in our economic life, is that you have to provide an education pathway from preschool all the way through post-secondary in order to ensure that you get 
real increases in people able uh, and both financially and educationally prepared to, in fact, go to college. So this notion, which is essentially the shift in thinking among people who think about education policy, is very much alive in Biden's budget. And then on top of that, uh, he has substantial funding for minority-serving institutions, which adds uh, additional leverage for moving African-American, Latino, indigenous people, and others who go to schools that are essentially dominated by those minority groups to give them uh, substantial additional funding. So when you look at the Biden proposal on or the Biden platform on the whole, it is a fairly comprehensive uh, assault on uh, modern reality, which is education pretty much uh, determines a person's lifetime opportunity in economic terms, uh, and that the education system from preschool through college is the principal device that we have as a nation to uh, increase opportunity and provide opportunity and that that reality and that there is a general preference, a political preference uh, among Americans for using education for these purposes rather than expansion in government power for redistributing income, for instance. So it is a very American plan. We prefer education as a tool to create upward mobility over the direct redistribution of income, for instance, or the expansion of the government uh, welfare state in other areas, because in our culture, which is highly individualistic in its biases, uh, we think that education is a fair way to allocate opportunity because each individual has to do the homework and take the tests and get through school and do well to get a good job. So in many respects, it is a pretty state-of-the-art view of the broader American economic question about uh, concerning inequality and its race and class dimensions. Well, this is really great and incredibly timely work. Um, and we want to encourage our listeners to go and read the full report that we discussed today. Again, it's titled The Dollars and Cents of Free College, and it's available now at cew.georgetown.edu. Anthony Carnavali, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest a future topic, you can follow us on Twitter at CPREHUB. That's C-P-R-E-HUB.